Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted you to know about some late-breaking news. After we recorded this episode, the U.S. government passed an unprecedented stimulus package, and it includes business relief clauses, billions and billions of dollars for small businesses, large businesses, and all that. And there are more than 800 pages that someone would have to wade through to, to figure out what money is available. But even to startups like us, startups that are less than 500 people or consultants or freelancers, there should be some options in this COVID-19 business release if you are in the United States. And so if you are a U.S.-based company, the odds of you being able to get some payroll relief is, is pretty high. To get info about that, head over to microconf.com and up in the header, if you're listening in the next couple of days, there's a link to it, or you can click the latest link that's up in the top navigation and look for the COVID-19 business relief post. We have, did an overview for startups, consultants, and freelancers in our Volset spent a good chunk of the weekend just wading through hundreds of pages of, of government documents so you don't have to. In addition, if you read through that and you still have questions, Inar is going to be hosting a live Q&A this Wednesday. So it's tomorrow after this episode airs. It's going to be at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And of course, you can register if you want to be on that and you know, want to ask live questions based on his understanding of, of reading through all these documents. So I just wanted to, to get this out there because I think there are a lot of folks who don't realize that even small businesses like us, solopreneurs, small teams and startups, there is money available in the stimulus package. That's why they, they passed it. So I just want you to understand what funds may be available to you to help out with you know, the crisis that we're all going through. So now let's transition into my real intro for the episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Each week on the show, we cover topics relating to building and growing startups that are ambitious, but use a sane approach. And this week's a little different. This is an episode I've been wanting to record for a few weeks, but I had recorded out several interviews that, that I wanted to get live. And I wanted to talk about this current crisis that we're facing. It's multi multifaceted. There's, there's the COVID-19 health crisis. We're seeing uh, essentially a, a bear market in the stock market. We very likely, almost with certainty, are, are facing a, you know upcoming worldwide recession. So I wanted to record this episode, and I was thinking about how to do it. And then I got an email from James Kennedy, who's been a multi-time microconf speaker, and you may know him from Procurement Express. And he emailed and said, my guess is the community urgently needs a podcast on COVID-19. We haven't seen much change yet, but I'm worried that this might be the calm before the storm. And so the way I'm thinking about it today is as a startup founder, and I don't care if you're SaaS or you're a marketplace, one-time sales, self-funded, indie-funded, bootstrapped, venture-funded, as a founder, what should your mindset be and what should we all be doing to prepare? And I wanted to bring a guest on to kind of, I can tend to be a little optimistic, I will say. It depends. My wife doesn't think so, but I can be a little optimistic. And today's guest balances me out. I am not nearly as bearish as Anar Volset, and I think that that's a good thing. So, Anar, welcome back to the show. This is your third appearance on Startups with the Rest of Us. Thanks for having me, Rep. Absolutely. So, honestly, like Anar is is up to speed on a lot of the numbers. He has a PhD in computer science, does a ton of data crunching, and pays attention to all the news that's coming through. And so, I actually go to him when I'm trying to sanity check my assumptions about what's going on today and where we're headed. And he weeks ago was saying, "Hey, this COVID thing is going to be a real thing." A lot of people were saying that, but there was a lot of chaos of like, yeah, it's going to be bad. It's not going to be bad. It's exponential and this and that. You know, there was there was a lot of noise, and there were a few folks that I felt like like got this right, and and Aner was was on top of that stuff. So, 
I guess to start with, there, there's a lot to cover today. It's very likely going to be a, a longer than normal episode, but this is a case where I, I just don't feel like we should, I don't feel like we should skip over things to try to make it a, a shorter episode because it's just, it's so important. And I think everyone, everyone needs to be thinking about this in some form or fashion. So I think to start off with, we're going to talk a little bit about recessions, bear markets, where we're at with that. And then I had six points that I wanted to walk through, six things that I think will be helpful for thoughtful founders to both for themselves, but also for their companies to think about some actions that I think they need to be willing to take. And, and the good news is Anar and I may disagree on, on things because this is not, it's not clear cut. No one knows what next week, next month and next year looks like, but we all have kind of our own reads on the situation. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting and hopefully enlightening for all of us to kind of, to kind of bat these things around. I think to start Anar, I don't see, personally, I don't see any reality where we don't slip into a recession, at least in the U.S. and probably most of the developed world. Um, right now, the world economy is effectively contracting dramatically. Are you on the same boat with that? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think that's pretty much the consensus view now. The question is just, you know, what kind of recession are we going to have? Like, is it going to be a long one or a short one? And, and how bad is it going to be? The stuff that I've been seeing from, uh, we're recording this on, what day is today? Wednesday? Thursday? And, you know, the, the unemployment numbers are due to come out on Friday, which normally are in the sort of for the U.S. And they certainly are, are usually around 200,000. And I've seen estimates anywhere from 1.5 million to 6 million people unemployed. So almost no matter what happens, that's that's sort of <laughs> going to cause a recession. The question is just how long is it going to be and how bad is it going to be? And genuinely, I think that's most to do with how bad the uh, how bad the virus becomes like are we able to respond to it properly are we able to get antivirals in place are we able to do surge capacity in hospitals like how soon can we get back to quote unquote normal i think that's that's the determining factor because from from where i'm sitting it seems to me like at least in the us both the fiscal and the stimulus response so this would be both what the fed has done in terms of unlimited quantitative easing printing money basically to keep the the markets going and this, these stimulus bills that have been coming through Congress, and I, I think the third one is about to be signed today, from, from my perspective, that's it. They're pretty much out of bullets at that point. And then it just becomes a matter of, you know, can we get this uh, corona thing under control? Can we mitigate some of the worst outcomes? And, and I think that will determine how, how bad it will be. Yeah, and I think, you know, folks who remember the 2008, 2009, the Great Recession, that felt terrible at the time. It was different because it wasn't directly threatening lives the way this is. But I, at one point, thought that the modern world was going to completely collapse. And I think other folks did too. And if you go back and watch The Big Short, which I watched two weeks ago with my 13-year-old son, for his, him, him for the first time, me for like the 15th time. I love that movie. It, it does a decent job of portraying how panicked people were about it. And this feels terrible now. But it felt really bad then too. And I, I, I'm not even trying to compare the two of them, but it does bring me like I've lived personally through five recessions that I can remember since the 80s. It's because you're old, Rob. It is because I'm old. <laughs> and, and you know, th these recessions are things that that you can that, like we're going to get through it. You know, it, it feels terrible right now, but like things will get better. And we will make it through this, even though this is terrible. And that, that's the thing, like COVID, is obviously, it's very serious and it's very tragic, you know, and it's going to continue to be a tragic story anytime people's health and, and lives are on the line. At the same time, I feel like we have a responsibility as, as entrepreneurs, as founders, as human beings to think about how to keep our companies afloat, right? To think about how to take care of ourselves, our families, 
you know, our employees, our communities, both health-wise and, and financially. And that's why we're recording this today is like, let's take this. It's a serious thing, but let's not panic. Let's think ahead. Let's have some cash reserves, which we'll talk about a little, a little later. And uh, frankly, start thinking about, you know, if you need to make cuts, make cuts early. So just two things I wanted to say before we kind of get into some nitty gritty is you hear a lot of talk about recessions and bear markets. And those two things are not necessarily the same, though they often correlate. So since the Great Depression in 1929, there have been a bunch of recessions. And most of them, almost all of them, have been between six months and 18 months long, right? So they're not, like the Great Recession felt like an eternity because the recovery took long, but it was, uh, a recession is defined as GDP shrinking by a certain, <laughs> how is it defined? Recession is, or is there a bear market is, Stock market going down 20% since peak. And recession is contraction of the GDP for two quarters in a row. Consecutive quarters, right? And so that's what we're going to see. That won't officially be declared for five months or six months, but we already know that that's coming, right? So the re recession is economic. A bear market is what you said. It's stock market, right? It's when it drops 20% from a peak. And there have been 16 bear markets since 1926. And they last an average of 22 months, but that is 22 months total. It starts to recover somewhere in there. So it's like that 10 to 12 month for time frame where if it really does become a true bear market, 22 months to make it back, you know, back up and really start working. The interesting thing is in the year after the trough of every bear market since 1929, the S&P has gained an average of 47%. That's according to Fidelity Investments. So all that to say is, these a don't don't confuse these two things recessions and bear markets i do think that they it's important to know because you hear it in the news all day about oh my gosh we're entering this and that but like having just a sane look at what this stuff is i think is is important and given that the the massive stimulus packages that are rolling out like you're talking about this feels reminiscent of 2008 2009 when those pack and those packages while it still got bad they did soften the blow quite a bit oh they definitely did I mean, I think I think the the whatever you think about the crony capitalism, whatever the fact of the matter is, they had to do what they had to do. That's pretty much what what saved the world economy. And and just to give context for people here, like we're talking like today, and and I'm expecting the the third relief bill to go through Congress today, and it's going to be two trillion dollars, <laughs> which is a fair amount of cash, and it's actually double the amount that they spent on the 2008 bailout package. So that tells you how much how serious they're taking it. Yeah, I hadn't realized that. So, you know, one question that, that, you know, again, James Kennedy was the original kind of prompt for this. And he and I went back and forth via email because I was saying, hey, what would you like to see? What are you hearing? And I'm going to quote him a few times during this episode just because it was because I had things in my head that I wanted to put in this episode, but I felt like it was helpful to hear from him. And so one thing he said is, how did SAS do in 2008 when the Great Recession hit? And I have a couple thoughts on this and then I want to, you know, pass it over to you to see if you have any other thoughts. The first thing is SAS was barely a thing in 2008. You know, there were so few. I mean, this like MailChimp was like just becoming a thing. Like 2007 to 2009 is when they were going like Basecamp was two, three years old. But what I would say is SaaS did a lot better than one-time sale products. So I had a, a one-time sale invoicing software and sales plummeted 80% one month to the next. Because there was no recurring revenue, right? Your revenue craters when you when you have one-time sale products. Now with with SaaS, it's much more likely that your revenue is that your growth is going to stall. 
and you're either going to, your trajectory is going to flatten or your revenue could completely flatten out or even start declining, but it should be a more gradual decline unless you're in an industry that's uniquely and deeply impacted by this. Like if you're serving retail, if you're serving in-person events, software for schools, software, for, you know, there's a, there's a whole list of, of industries that are going to be pretty devastated by it. But other than that, you're going to be impacted, but it's not going to be like a lot of the businesses in the world are going to be impacted. I think that's true, yeah. And like I, I saw that note come through and I was like, 2008. I don't, like I said, I, don't, I didn't really have any context for SaaS in 2008. That was a year before I, I went through YC and we were building a mobile app for, for the consumer. So <laughs> I wasn't that clued into to SaaS at the time. So, so but, but it makes sense to me. I mean, that's, that's sort of what we're seeing in the people I'm talking to is that, you know, anything which is, which currently needs to go on a budget now is getting serious scrutiny versus something that's already recurring. Yeah, you, you, you're you definitely going to see cuts. Like I, like I said, I don't really think there's any business that's not going to, well, there are, there are some exceptions, but I don't think there's really any business that's not going to see, you know, some sort of a damage in terms of revenue, in terms of top line, in terms of profit, if we go through a recession that's anywhere near as deep as, as what people are projecting. I mean, to give you context, I think it was Goldman Sachs who, was, who were saying that they think the Q2 2020, the GDP is going to drop to, to negative, drop 24%, which is, I mean, it does never happened before. And so, you know, I, I think it just makes sense that people are going to look very hard at pretty much their entire credit card bill. You know, what are their accounts payable? And they're going to be cutting across the board just as a sort of a defensive crouch. And I, I think that's inevitable. Yeah. And in the Great Recession, the GDP, fell, at least in the U.S., fell 4.3% from its peak. What's interesting is it's not apples to apples because it's just such a different thing. What this COVID thing is an unnatural brake lever, I think of it, you know, like, like brakes on a car, unlike anything we've ever seen. It truly is unprecedented. And so we don't know if it slows down super suddenly, what is the impact of that? You know, there have been no experiments like this. So yeah, I think I mean I think it's 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 clearly unprecedented. And if you just look at like just what the stock market's doing, it's never fallen this fast, uh, this quickly. Even 1929 did, didn't go down this quickly. Same thing with 2008 didn't happen that quickly. Now, that could mean one of two things: like we're in for a much worse time, but it could equally well mean you know what it went down so quick it's going to bounce back up. I mean, yesterday the the Dow was up I think 11 percent or something completely bananas. So it's it's. It really is uncharted territory in terms of what we're dealing with because it's global. <laughs> you know, like you can't even you can't even say like, oh, I'm going to focus on a different market or, you know, there's hardly any markets left that aren't going to be impacted by this. Right. I think we we need to not panic. Right. We need to keep clear heads and we need to plan realizing things could get worse. We don't know how worse, but it's just, it's keeping a level head. And I, that's my first point. I have, I have six points that I want to cover today. Actually, it looks like I misnumbered them. I actually have seven points I want to cover today. <laughs> the first is like, it is don't panic. You know, is that clear heads will prevail. James Kennedy asked me, how do you manage mental health at a time like this? And frankly, I have been talking a lot and listening to my wife, Sherry Walling. She is doing, she has more requests for webinars and podcast interviews in the last two weeks than in the past two months combined. And she has been thinking about and talking about how to keep people from being consumed by their anxiety and stress for decades, right? She was a trauma psychologist. She became, in essence, a founder and CEO. Coach is not the right word, but an advisor and like follow her for a couple months. And I'm not saying I, I get nothing out of this, but like she is just an even keeled mind and a trained mind who 
She talks you off the cliff a fair amount of time. So exactly, exactly. <laughs> so she puts out a podcast every Friday. It's called Zen Founder. She's Zen Founder on Twitter, and she and I just did something a couple of days ago, MicroConf on air last Thursday, where we talked about this exact question for about 30 minutes. And I just peppered her with questions. And we got a bunch of questions from Slack too. And she was just giving strategies about what it's like to be at home with the family or without the family, how things are different, why we're stressed, how to how to give yourself some leeway, how to feel better about it. So she will do a much better job than than Anar and I will to, to calm you down. Amen. <laughs> Point number two is no business is recession proof, right? It depends on the cause and the unique complexities of the recession. So one piece of information I have, don't ask me how I got it, but there's a major podcast app that its usage is down 25%. And I was thinking, well, isn't all the remote stuff going to explode? But the the person said, I think it's down 25% because people are not commuting to work. They're just not opening the app because they're not in their car. And it never occurred to me that that would be a thing. I think we've seen, obviously, we keep hearing about how Zoom and their competitors are going to be doing well, remote pair programming tools, right? Like Tuple and their competitors, people dealing with podcasting, recording podcasting, video live streaming, et cetera. And if you're in that boat, like consider yourself lucky. You didn't do it on purpose. Like COVID is not your thing. Like don't feel guilty. I think I talked to a founder who said, I actually feel guilty that my business is growing during this time. It's like, don't, don't feel guilty. Like take it as a blessing. And I would say, use that to take care of your family and your team and hopefully, hopefully help others during this time you have thoughts on this about the recession proof and about, you know, certain things getting hit harder versus easier? No, I mean, I think, like I said just previously, I I fundamentally think there are some things that'll do well, but I think that's in a minority. I think pretty much everything is going to see a hit across the board. That's sort of almost a definition of a recession, right? People are spending less money because whether it's because directly related to the virus risk or just the the, the sort of fear and, and uncertainty, because like, I think one of the main things that people are struggling with right now is like, there are credible people that says that actually this is completely overblown and it you know it's not as nowhere near as bad, and there are also equally credibly people who said that this is just the start; it's going to get much worse. And sort of that sort of aperture of of uncertainty is is really damaging to to businesses and and to people's you know willingness to spend money and and invest in new stuff. And even though most likely it won't be either of those extremes, and hopefully certainly not on the downside. I think just that uncertainty is likely to sort of stop people, reconsider, you know, downgrading, you know, spending less money overall. And I think that's going to impact uh, very broadly. You know, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about today, we actually, we've been thinking a lot about this because we have companies that we funded. Like we have companies in our portfolio. I mean, frankly, I have a, tons of friends and, you know, all the stuff in the, in the SaaS space and have been having a lot of conversations, but you and I sent a letter to our portfolio companies and a lot of it was, you know, this kind of stuff, like don't panic, be prepared for a downturn. And like this number three point, I think I took directly from there. It's like, like be cautious and be prepared to make some cuts earlier rather than later. Now, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because, you know, James Kennedy said he had heard some folks talking and people were giving advice and stuff, I assume in like Slack channels and stuff. And he heard someone say, cut 20% of your overhead now and plan for a further 20% if it gets to that point. Know where the savings are going to come from before you need to make them. What are your thoughts on that? I I have two thoughts. I think, first of all, I think it's very important, particularly for a U.S. company, it's very important to understand what's in this relief bill that's going to get passed. Because there's some specific provisions there that relate to payroll. And I think it's likely to be, and, and I, I haven't read the text yet, but I think it's likely to be something like if you have people on payroll before March March 1st and you have the same amount of people on payroll 
after, say, April 15th, then the government's basically going to give you either a grant or a loan potentially with forgiveness options if you don't fire those people. So that's sort of an unprecedented situation, although that's what's been happening in some of the other countries, like you know France and the UK. Effectively, the government has said, like, don't fire anybody. We'll get through this. We'll pay their salaries for 80, you know, 80% of their salaries for however long. And that's effectively what, you know, what this relief bill tries to do. So that, that's the one caveat I would come with up front. Like, even if you let people go right now, as long as you put them back on payroll by April 15th, you might still, still get this benefit. And that, you know, is probably something worth making sure you, you don't screw yourself, you know, and, and cut in a way that essentially the government will pay to keep your payroll the same. So that's one thing. But if you, my other point is putting that aside, and that's not going to fit every business and not everyone's in the US and all this stuff. Cutting 20% and then plan for a further 20%, like my one objection there is like, particularly if we're talking about cutting people, then I think it can be extremely demoralizing to a company and to a company culture if like to serve a death by a thousand cuts. I feel like certainly in prior recessions, you know, 2008, 2000, 2001, I think the companies that did the best are the ones that, you know, did a deep cut early, but then didn't have to do anymore, you know, versus the... Let's cut a little bit here and a little bit there and then essentially just quickly see the sort of morale erode. And I think that that's my one concern with the cut a bit here and the, uh, 20% that doesn't sound like a bit, but like like a deep cut. I was just talking to someone the other day and like they remember in 2008, they basically cut 70% of their staff like overnight in the first cut. And it seemed everyone was like saying, what are you doing? You're crazy. You're overreacting. But that turned out to be the right approach because they never had to cut again. They got the profitable they started growing again versus the people who cut 5%, then 10%, then 10%, and then you know 5%. It completely eroded morale in the company. And you have to have cash, and cash is king. But particularly if you have employees, it's not great to come to work and just be wondering, like, I wonder who's going to get cut this month. So, so that's my one thing with it. If we're just talking like overheads, like you know software packages or whatever it is, sure, that's easier. That, then I can understand it. Yeah, that's where it gets tough. Can you get 20% out of you know non-employees? And it depends. I mean, do you have a lot of contractors that you could cut back on and and bring stuff in? How? I mean, there's there's a million ways to do this. I struggle with the preemptive cuts. But see, I'm a very I'm kind of at, I, I like I would run my companies at the leading edge of the present often, and I, I think I have a tough time making cuts before I start to see revenue or leads. You know that you have leading indicators, right? Of like trials per month. I mean, I knew exactly almost to the trial like how many we should have each day, and if it was down. I was like already starting to project, well, the next month's MRR is going to be this and that. And so if you're in touch with that and you feel like things aren't dramatically shifting for you yet, I mean, certainly I think trimming the belt is worth it. And if you can cut 5, 10%, 15% of overhead, I think that's great. But I, I, I think I'm on the same page with you. As soon as you start cutting people, if it's, you know, again, if it's letting a contractor go or if it's, hey, we're going to turn off these ads or if it's, we're, you know, because they're not really working that well right now. Or we're going to, you know, there's an agency running our ads and we're just going to back off of all that. That kind of stuff makes sense to me. But if you have a pretty tight-knit team and you start letting people go, as you said, the death by a thousand cuts becomes a, a problem. And so I think I think you just want to be aware of that as, as you go forward with this. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, like, I, I wouldn't start cutting in panic. I'm not saying that. But, but I think most businesses will start to see and be like, oh, yeah, like, this is bad. Like, you're having conversations with people like, yeah, we haven't cut you yet, but I'm furloughing all my employees, so... Chances are they'll cut you, cut you as well. Like there are ways, there are ways to get indicators that you're about to have a pretty severe 
downturn and, and if you need to cut then once you feel pretty confident that this is going to happen then i think uh, cut big and cut early and probably earn the side of cutting too much so you don't have to do it again yeah my point number four is to really dig into what's working in the business still and to cut and trim marketing and sales efforts that aren't working today um, I, this is kind of spurred on james said is trying to continue doing sales in this environment suicide we were about to start a new outbound sales campaign, but now that doesn't necessarily feel like a great idea. What are your thoughts on that? Again, I think this is entirely up to, to what kind of buyer you're selling to and what you're you're doing. I think, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to, again, it again, depends on how it gets, right? In some cases, if you have a kind of software, you're doing enterprise sales to big organizations, okay, fair enough, everyone's working at home, from home, but maybe now they sort of have time on their hand to evaluate, you know, new options. And if you're up competing against some entrenched, very expensive on-prem software, and you are sort of the lean, slightly cheaper, or even much cheaper, although not too cheap, obviously, cloud provider, that might be the that might be a great great time to be doing sales. Because, you know, if you come along and you it's something if you're selling something that's fifteen thousand dollars a month, you know, and, and you're cloud accessible and you're competing against somebody who uh, a company that's fifty thousand dollars a month, and, and everyone has to be in the office, then it's a great time. Let's do it. I mean, in part because they're probably still getting paid. You know, they, they'll be doing things like looking at reducing their AP. So in some cases, I'm sure that people have been thinking like, we really hate this software. It's too expensive. It's cumbersome, but we don't just don't have time to replace it. Versus, you know, now might be the time. So I'm sort of reluctant to give across the board advice about whether now is a, a good or bad time to be selling, at least as it relates to B2B stuff. I think if you're B2C, oh, that's going to be hard. Yeah, I would I would find it very hard to sell, you know, to, to the consumer right now, at least. Very distracted. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that that's the thing is, like, if I were still running Drip today, I would take a long, deep, hard look at any type of marketing or sales efforts we were doing. And I would be cutting earlier rather than later. You know, oftentimes when, when everything's in expansion and we're going up and to the right, you can you can take the long bet and you can say, well, I think over the next 60 days, this is going to turn out. You know, this ad campaign will convert or we're still working on things. This is the point where I would be really dialing those down and easing away, especially things that are just straight spending money to get new leads because it's uncertain right now how this is going to pan out. And there's a lot of distraction, both, as you said, the consumer side is, is terrible because all of us are sitting here looking at Twitter and the news feed all day. And aside from consuming, you know, grocery stores, <laughs> everyone, the toilet paper manufacturers are, you know, making out like bandits. But I just think there's a lot of, a lot of distraction and I'm personally not looking to sign up for a bunch. You know, the only, the new software that we've been looking at or the new purchases we've been buying, producers Andrew and I are looking at potentially upgrading the Zoom account so we can do webinars out of it and playing around with this thing that does a live stream. You know, it's all remote stuff. As we said earlier, there's those, there's those edge cases, <laughs> the exceptions that are going to thrive in this. But a lot of other folks, back to your point, if you can offer a substantially less expensive thing, people are going to be looking to cut costs today. But other than that, it's it's definitely time to really be to be thinking this through. Point number five is to take this is gonna sound obvious, but take care of yourself and the people around you. I think that it's our responsibility if you're in a good position to help other people. And I, I think you start with yourself and that's your mental health and your physical health. You know, try not to get sick and just trying to not stress so much about this 24 hours a day. 
and then it's your family and then it's your, you know, your neighborhood and your community and your, and your employees, you know, your team as well. I just give example, like I contacted all of my family members who I think may be, you know, may have been out of work, right? The folks who are kind of working hourly jobs, a couple friends as well, just to make sure that they're going to make rent, you know, that they're not too stressed. And there's probably going to be a bailout and a, you know, a relief for them as well. But I feel like those of us in a position to be able to do that should be doing that. I've been taking one for the team. We've been ordering takeout. We don't tend to get a lot of takeout, but we've been doing it two or three nights a week, specifically from the, our favorite local restaurants who we know are just getting decimated by this. And I've been giving big ass tips to the drivers, you know, and I feel like if, you know, if you're in this position, it's kind of time for generosity. And even better, if you're in a position to help doctors, first responders, they're going to pay a price just with the, the stress and the trauma that they see. And to be honest, I really am, I'm heartened by the, the efforts of large companies like Tesla, who are basically re, refactoring their factories to make masks and ventilators. And who is it in, in Europe that's going to start making hand sanitizer? It's like Louis Vuitton or something. Oh, Louis Vuitton is. And I think uh, Anheuser-Busch just came out with a <laughs> Anheuser-Busch brewed labeled uh, a sanitizer product, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're doing the same stuff. And it's like, you know, you know, one of our friends, they just bought a, a cafe three months ago. <laughs> oh, man. So, I know. It's brutal. And so I've, we've been getting lunch from them pretty much every day and tipping pretty heavily. You know, he jokes that we're basically, sub, you know, keeping it alive for now, which I, I think is probably true. And we've, we've been doing the same stuff, like just ordering from our favorite restaurants, you know, tipping heavily. I think all the weight that I'm going to put on, I'm just going to attribute to personal growth during the coronavirus. That's sort of my uh, my approach with uh, with the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. And I th- and if you're not in that position and your business is completely crashing around you, obviously this is not a this is not a responsibility for everyone. It's a responsibility for folks who who I think have the you know have the means to do it and are in that position. And I think there, there's another thing. It's even certainly your team members are going to need it, but like your customers too, right? You may have customers who come, and if you know your customers well, you're going to know the ones who are maybe trying to pull a fast one on you, and you're going to know the customers who come and say, "Look, I just I can't afford it right now. My business is cratering," you know. And can you work with them to keep their data around? Can you? Whether you you comp them or you give them a big discount or you give them a, you know, here's 10 bucks a month just to keep your data. Like this is the time to kind of be understanding and and to help one another out because we're going to need that, that kind of, just that kind of coming together. And on that note, like I think a lot about team members, you know, your employees, it's like some people I've talked to are really, really stressed about COVID. I'm not. I'm normally a very anxious and stressed person, but for some reason... I, I'm, I'm just in a, a good position. And for whatever reasons, I'm not freaking out about it. But I talk to folks who I respect and like, and, you know, and, and I know, and, and they're extremely, extremely stressed about it. And just different people react differently. It's the bottom line. And so really be aware of that as you're talking to your, your teammates, you know, your team members. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I think people handle this thing anything differently. I'm not super stressed either, despite you know what you might see me screaming on on Twitter. I think actually, I was just just occurred to me the other day. It's like this would be a very different scenario if if the sort of the hazard curve was more similar to a typical virus. If children were equally at risk as as seniors, then I think uh, you know I think it's a blessing blessing that we're not in that boat because uh, then I think you would see mass exodus out of the cities by now. But yeah, no, people definitely handle it differently for sure. I've noticed that both in my professional and my personal life. Yeah. And I mean, some people are just straight stressed by COVID. Some people are, most of us have our kids at home all day right now while we're trying to get some work done. Some people aren't used to working from home at all. Frankly, everyone needs 
a break right now, including you as a founder, like give yourself the leeway to not, you don't have to be 40 or 50 hours a week productive right now. Give yourself the leeway to be 10 hours a week productive. If you can be 10 hours a week productive, you're doing amazingly well. That's my view. Yes. Because of the, not only the physical distraction, but it's the mental distraction, the ongoing burden, the stress level. I mean, Sherry keeps talking about this, about how every, you know, she has a lot of clients and everyone she talks to is just at a level of eight out of 10 constantly. And we, I, I think a lot of us are. And so it's like, give yourself, it's not the luxury, but it's like permission. Yeah. The permission. That's the word. Like give yourself permission, you and your family permission to do it. And so, yeah, this morning I was down with the kids for, for an hour and a half as they were on their laptops. I was doing some work in the background and they were interrupting me constantly, which I always hate because I'm a super focused person when I work, but I was just giving myself and the kids permission to not be stressed while we're at home. It's easier said than done, but I think it's something that we need to realize is we, we just, we can't be as productive as we were and we aren't going to under these circumstances. And so it's kind of like every night I go, every night when I go to bed, I am seriously thankful of like that I don't work in a restaurant or a factory or own a, you know, a retail store and that I can work from home. Like we are a lot of us in, in better situations than everyone else. And I'm thankful for that. My brother owned a restaurant, a fish and chips restaurant until about a year ago. Oh, he and I were just talking about, yeah, he sold it a year ago. You know I mean? And, and like, and good Friday is like one of the biggest days of the year for them. And they're basically, you know, they, uh, it's just, it could be worse. Like is what I keep saying to all of us. And I tell the kids that and Sherry and I talk about that and it, it doesn't necessarily make it easier, magically make it go away, but it does it puts it into perspective, which I think is something we need right now is to just keep things in you know, perspective. Yeah. The point number six I wanted to make is at times like these, in terms of your business, cash is going to be king, right? So like right now, having some cash in the bank and having that cushion is going to be super important, both to make payroll, to keep the business to flow for any emergencies, you know, the more cash you have, honestly, the better off you're going to be. And as we exit this, because, you know, as I said, like, it feels terrible now, but like, we'll, we'll get through it. Things will get better. There will be opportunities as we exit the recession, you know, in the, in the stock market. Like, I think of all the companies that came out of the last couple of recessions, like MailChimp was like 2007 to 2009 when it really started taking off. Twitter came out of it. I think Blogger came out of, or Blogspot, Blogger came out of the 2001. Google, I believe, was kind of 99, 2000, 2001. Like, they all went up and then kind of lived through it. I even think of like our friend Ruben, you know, with BitSketch, like he started that in 2008, 2009, like right in the midst of this. But recoveries bring opportunity. And while it's hard to think about that right now, we will get there. And there will be opportunities in the stock market. And I think a lot of us are watching that. I certainly am. I have a little bit of dry powder on the side, but there will be opportunities in SaaS, whether it's acquiring a company or just markets that are going to reopen and, and go quickly. And if you're set up to take advantage of that and in a decent position to do it, and you've, you've weathered this storm, that's where the real growth happens is on the recovery. My dad worked in construction for 42 years and my brother still, he's a project manager. And when recessions happen like this, a bunch of construction firms go out of business because they just don't manage their finances very well in general. And they go out of business and the ones who hang on and make it back always have amazing, amazing big years when things are growing. Yeah, I think that's true. I think a little bit of cash in the bank is super helpful. And I think like, I think this is probably your point seven, like, we're going to get through this. I think there's a lot of doom and gloom right now. But, you know, realistically, it's not like we're going to be in lockdown for 18 months to two years. Like that doesn't, that just won't happen. Like, there are too many things that are likely to to work out in one way, shape or form 
that means that it won't be as bad as sort of the worst doom-mongers uh, out there are currently claiming. Yeah, and I think, you know, one question James Kennedy had asked me when he emailed is he said, when should you sit on cash and when should you go hunting for opportunities? That's a great question. And it's a similar question to like, when do you think you can time the bottom of the market <laughs> in the stock market? And, and my view is like, no, like, you know, I, I was watching the stock market jump up 10% yesterday. And I was like, I, I could feel, I could feel the greed. I was like, God, I want to be in this market right now. But then I was like, yeah, but I don't like and it. It comes back to like cash is king. I was like, okay, but if I lose out on a little bit of a gain on the stock market, you know, how upset am I going to be by that versus like if it continues down and I lose, you know, a six months cash cushion for me and my family, that's much worse. And so, so that's, I tend to be slightly conservative when it comes to deploying capital back into the markets. And I, I, I think you do too. And I, you know, like certainly I think a lot of businesses right now are just, you know, they're just sort of like, yeah, we're fine. We'll like, we'll wait and see how bad it goes. So do I think right now there is an awful lot of, you know, amazing opportunities to, to buy businesses? No, I don't think so. I, I think typically they come later in the cycle, to be honest with you. There was a, a venture capitalist in the Midwest who I was talking with and he was saying, yeah, the conversations he's having are the founders who started raising a few months ago who don't have commits, you know, they have a valuation in mind. And that is no longer the fact, like the valuations are in essence, they have already come down from the from the investor side, but the founders haven't realized it yet, you know, is, is what he said. And that I think is what's happening here, right? There aren't amazing, if you go out and try to buy a business today, people will still hang on to the valuation they had in mind for their business three weeks ago. But if we get three, six months into this, depending on how, you know, again, how everything shakes out, there will be more opportunities long term. And I, this is all assuming like this aside from COVID, this is purely the, you know, the economic and the, and the stock market aspects of it. I think when I, how I think about it is when should you go hunting for opportunities? Not yet, not anywhere close. Like I'm, I'm going to be sitting on cash for, for quite some time. I don't tend to try to time the bottom of the stock market. I wait until I never make this, the bottom. I wait until it's, uh, you know, I get it after it's kind of bounced and coming back up, and I see the economic signs change. There's a bunch of leading economic indicators, much like in a SaaS app, when I think of, I look at unique visitors, I look at my trials, I look at trial to conversion, there's all these things that are ahead of MRR. There are leading indicators for all these things too. And before the recession is quote unquote over, you know, before it's declared over, there will be some leading indicators. And those are the types of things uh, I think you can look at. So I don't know if there's an easy answer to go hunting, but I certainly think that there there are always opportunities coming out of, you know, economic downturns like this, even though, I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's, you know, it is cyclical and that's, that's how economies work. Last point, point seven is just reminding you, like, we are going to make it through this. It feels terrible right now. And it, and it is terrible. You know, the health crisis is, is just, it's not something that any of us would, could even imagine, I think, but things will get better. Like we will figure this out. And while it's serious and tragic, you know, we need to keep a, a level head and we need to kind of keep pushing things forward to take care of ourselves, you know, ourselves, our families, our communities. And I, I again, I, it comes back to like staying mentally healthy and not stressing so much about it, not thinking about it all the time with little new information or no real new information. It doesn't help to just think about something all the time, you know, help worry is doesn't solve anything. That's something that Sherry and, and other psychologists <laughs> have kind of drilled into me over the years. It's like worry with no new information, just there's no, there's no value to it. So Anyways, I hope as a listener, you got some value out of this and just even just hearing a couple people kind of think through how we're thinking about it and hopefully you took away a piece of advice or two that helps you, helps you feel better as we look ahead. 
Yeah, I agree. And like I said, I think I think I've been watching this probably for longer than most people in terms of the the COVID thing themselves. And I think in general, things just will get better. Like there's just no way that this thing is, you know, it has a death rate of 5% and like 100% of people will get it and there's nothing we can do. And we just got to lock up in our houses for 18 months. That's, that's just not how these things work out. And so I'm not a virologist, you know, and we're already seeing trends that suggest that, you know, this is bad, certainly, but it's not world, you know, civilization endings. And so spending all your time on Twitter and, and uh, it's not necessarily all that helpful. So thanks so much for joining us this week. I hope that you and your family and your colleagues and your teams stay healthy. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.